Hi, uh, I am Dr. Ashwini Dravid. I'm an assistant professor at the School of Liberal Studies, University of Petroleum and Energy Studies, Dehradun. And I am Dr. Shambhu Sajid. I am from Energy Management in the University of Petroleum and Energy Studies, Dehradun. Today, we will be discussing about the concept of cooperative sustainable development. So, it's a unique uh, concept that sort of refers to the process in which the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals can be achieved by enabling a collaborative um, environment vis-a-vis the Sustainable Development Goal 17, which deals with uh, revitalization of global partnerships between governments, um, private sector, and the civil society. So as we all know that we are currently in 2023, and the United Nations set 2030 as the time period in which the global goals have to be achieved. It is a highly ambitious goal, and it is a complex task. So while progressing towards these goals, we see that there is a significant divide between the global south and the global north in achieving these goals. While some countries and some regions have made significant and substantial progress in certain areas of the global goals, such as the Nordic region, for example, uh, we also see that there are certain regions like South Asia, for example, still faces significant challenges and obstacles. Through this concept of uh, cooperative sustainable development, we propose that the tool to achieve the sustainable development goals are renewable energy. So if we look at the Nordic region that I gave as an example, um, a key reason why the Nordic region is a forerunner in accomplishing the SDGs is uh, that there is an abundance of hydropower in their energy mix, all the countries uh, in the Nordic region, for example. If we also look at um, um, Denmark, for example, uh, in 1991, uh, Vinabu had the first offshore wind farm in the world. So we also see that uh, Iceland has transitioned significantly with geothermal energy uh, dominating their energy mix. So the tool to sort of achieve the sustainable development goals, henceforth, is renewable energy. And a primary reason why our argument is also so is that three-fourths of the world's greenhouse gas emission comes from the energy use, whether it's an industrial use or agriculture use or transportation from emissions from transportation. But energy, fossil fuels is a significant, you know, impacting factor in the greenhouse gas emissions all over the world. So only one fourth of the greenhouse gas emission comes from, let's say, land use or agriculture, building infrastructure, etc., for which currently we do not have a sustainable alternative to go to. But that's not the case for renewable energy. Uh, the energy, for example, we have renewable energy, right? We can transition to an, uh, renewable energy. So a transition from the fossil fuel-based economy to a green economy, uh, there is an abundance of scope in achieving these sustainable development goals. Shambhu, what is your take on um, this transition from fossil fuel-based uh, economy 
to a renewable energy based economy in the context of indo pacific so over the years we have seen that there are multiple amounts of conflicts and wars that was fought for fossil fuels and now we are entering a phase where renewable energy will be dominating the energy mix and uh, we will talk about renewable energy as a sustainable and safe form of energy but the conditions in renewable energy is completely different there is not just about resources it is about the technology also so fairly the renewable energy resources are fairly uh, abundant throughout the world every country has some form of renewable energy whether that's solar or wind but the problem with wind renewable energy is that the wind doesn't blow all the time and sun doesn't shine all the time that causes intermittency for the renewable energy technologies and we cannot rely on one particular form of renewable energy to provide the electricity demand to meet the electricity demand so this is where uh, a diversified energy mix comes into play we need solar we need uh, wind we need other forms of energy like hydropower battery storage geothermal energy biomass and all these energy technologies so in terms of technologies it is not just about uh, the wind turbines we need critical materials and metals required for uh, building wind turbines the magnets under wind turbines and also battery storage systems that includes lithium cobalt manganese uh, nickel copper and all these critical materials and when you look at the supply chain and we find out that all these materials and minerals are concentrated in very few countries say for example congo congo has around 60 70% of global cobalt reserves and that is concentrated in a few hundred square kilometers in katanga in uh, southern part of congo and say for example lithium also lithium is concentrated mainly in the lithium triangle in bolivia chile and argentina in south america and all these countries are looking to uh, nationalize these uh, mines and that way there will be a crunch in the supply of renewable energy technologies and renewable energy minerals that are required for building these renewable energy technologies so in the future by 2050 we need to transition into renewable energy by increasing our presence in safeguarding these renewable energy materials for renewable energies like for example lithium cobalt manganese and all these m materials so at the point of time at this point of time we have china which is dominating most of the refining process of these critical materials like close to 90% of the refining of, of rare earth materials is being conducted in china and china is dominating the mining of uh, rare earth materials lithium even though it is coming from south america it is been refined in china close to 70% of it then we have cobalt uh, 18 out of 20 cobalt mines are being owned by china and china uh, securing the supply chain of these critical materials make sure that they will transition faster than any other country and also that puts a lot of pressure on other countries to increase their presence in these mines and not just exploring new mines in uh, the domestic areas like for example india has found out lithium reserves in jammu and kashmir and iran has also claimed to have found their own uh, lithium reserves but the problem with lithium reserves finding it right now is that we don't know exactly the quality of the reserves that uh, is existing in jammu and kashmir and iran 
rather we know the quality of uh, lithium deposits in bolivia or chile or argentina they are super good and that is the reason why many of the countries believe that if you're having lithium from these uh, lithium triangle the den- energy density is on the higher side and cobalt for the same reason from congo and to have a mine ready from the discovery all the way to refining it will take 16 and a half years and at least 3 years we have to identify how much reserves these locations have is it feasible economically feasible to invest in large scale mining practices in a place like jammu and kashmir and even if it is feasible what is the quality of the lithium reserves and when countries are scrambling to transition from fossil fuels and make them independent of energy uh, from renewable energies we need to understand that we need to build a strong de-risking factor from china and also we have to make sure that we build allies a uh, building allies not just about reshoring friendshoring it is about making collaborations with other countries india and vietnam are very good examples in which we can build a sustainable cooperative sustainable development where in which uh, vietnam is already having uh, some footprint in offshore wind energy and india is struggling at the moment with offshore wind energy deployment and even though india has identified three locations for offshore wind energy at the moment the barriers are on the higher side and not many investors are coming forward to invest in these particular regions while on the other hand if india is favoring if, if india is providing a favorable investment scenario with vietnam in building offshore wind turbines indian investors can move to vietnam to invest in offshore wind energy till the time if the market becomes mature the offshore wind energy obviously requires all these uh, supporting infrastructure supporting industries like vessels uh, support, uh, port facilities and all these building materials and all those construction and maintenance so in that particular point of time if india wants to invest in vietnam in the shallow waters of the large coastline that vietnam has the profit can be on the higher side and by the time the experience and the best practices are been shared from vietnam we can start investing in india to make sure that offshore wind energy is competent with other forms of energy at the moment we have solar which has reduced its cost to 223 percentage over the last 12 years and wind has reduced its cost for 23 percentage over the years and we are looking at wind and solar along with other forms of energy as well so the reason why we are talking about offshore wind energy is that as we go deeper into the ocean there is more chance that the wind is steady and it is a reliable form of energy so for solar energy we have a capacity factor of around 18 percentage and wind we have onshore wind we have a capacity factor of around 28 percentage so if you are building offshore wind energy the chances of making of uh, renewable energy increases by 45 percentage to 45 percentage and also if we are trying to explore floating offshore wind energy the chances of the capacity factor increasing will be to 55 percentage so that is where um, the opportunity stands for india and vietnam because la- both the countries have large coastline and exploring green hydrogen from offshore wind energy becomes feasible and exporting green hydrogen to other countries also becomes viable in that case india and vietnam has to have a cooperative sustainable development and this is where i leave my point to dr ashwin so when 
we are talking about how vietnam and india is collaborating on developing renewable energy uh, bilaterally also by exchanging renewable energy technologies and investments in the green energy sector we are also talking about some sort of a balancing that is happening in indo pacific right so the indo pacific region uh, uh, accounts for more than 65% of the global gdp and half of all the global trade uh, also passes through the waters um, of the indo pacific indo pacific is also a highly geopolitically uh, sensitive region with the uh, the expansion of china uh, in um, the whole um, southeast asian region and also the south asian region india's collaboration with vietnam on renewable energy cannot be just considered as a cooperation for renewable energy we also need to acknowledge how uh, the geopolitical games that are playing out in this region also by acknowledging uh, and understanding and giving space to the national interests of uh, the countries in the southeast asian region including vietnam uh, and also the regional interest of the region so a, a potential collaboration or a cooperation between india and vietnam on renewable energy cannot be considered as just a cooperation for renewable energy it also has high geostrategic significance uh, and this is also a, a sort of a counter balancing that is happening when uh, china is investing um, uh, you know aggressively uh, if i can say in the south asian region uh, with its infrastructure development projects in uh, uh, in pakistan for example with cpec or uh, in sri lanka at the hambantota and bangladesh and even maldives all the infrastructure activities that is happening in maldives so there is a upset balance uh, of power in the south asian region that is happening so when india is reaching out to vietnam on a renewable energy uh, uh, cooperation uh, it also has uh, these uh, counterbalancing uh, sort of a thing happening in southeast asia when india is trying to counter uh, the upset balance that is happening uh, so when with these sort of uh, things that is happening in the background the role of uh, cooperative sustainable development is to acknowledge and give space to these interests that is there so by not acknowledging the geopolitics of energy we will not be able to achieve whatever targets we have set for energy and also we need to uh, sort of discuss uh, the role of non state actors all the or or the role of transnational actors uh, in in establishing um, or in uh, in achieving the cooperative sustainable development uh, uh, goals or the sustainable development goals per se so what are the uh, role of let's say a quad or uh, or the role of corporations for example when you are talking about renewable energy a lot of corporations are involved in it lot of private uh, uh, factors private sectors big um uh, corporations are involved in uh, ensuring that renewable te technologies are being produced it is being developed it uh, there are investments because funding is a big thing right so how are we sort of ensuring that uh, the role of transnational actors uh, is not something that is uh, out of alignment with the interests of the region per se so for renewable energy we know that uh, it is 
not just about the ultimate customers who are making a brave move into transitioning to renewable energy and sustainable way of living but we have to look into the entire supply chain of renewable energy from the mines all the way to the final energy that is being consumed uh, from upstream all the way to downstream the mines has to be sustainable if it is not a sustainable way of mining then what is the point in having a sustainable form of energy say for example congo there is huge amount of human rights violations that is happening in congo the artisan miners are put into harsh working conditions and they are given under 2 dollars per day and the life expectancy of congolese people are under 60 years at the moment and the conditions are getting worse over the years largely because of the chinese investment in these particular regions so to have an effective transition to renewable energies and a sustainable ecosystem we need to make sure that the entire ecosystem the entire supply chain is sustainable and make sure that all these regulatory factors has to be there in from the mining to the transportation and finally building these renewable energy technologies and all has to fall into having a sustainable bracket in it so here is where sustain cooperative sustainable development comes into play we are trying to make sure that the cooperative sustainable development will make sure that the peop- uh, the countries and the companies involved in the transition to renewable energy sources will follow a sustainable pattern to reach the net zero targets it should be sustainable from the mines all the way to the final consume consumption of the renewable energy technologies say for example the south china sea is going through a tremendous amount of shift with the nine dash line and the the conflicting claims on the territorial waters by china and the littoral countries and uh, especially in the islands of china uh, south china sea that is philip uh, parcel parcel islands and uh, spartly island and also natura island in indonesia these conflicts has increased the possibility of having a sustainable cooperation between these two countries whether that's in uh, china or asian countries so we have to make sure that there has to be a sustainable cooperation between the countries in the terms of renewable energy technologies one of the reasons why south china sea is having disputes is because of the large hydrocarbon reserves under the seabed of south china sea and not just about having a geopolitical advantage of having south china sea as your uh, closest uh, location or increasing the presence of uh, trade which is also a important factor in making sure that the trade is secure so that the china's trade balance 80% of the china's oil trade happens through the strait of malacca and making sure that all the trade is secure making sure that uh, this will enable china's development in the coming years is critical for china so how about replacing the hydrocarbon reserves with offshore wind energy if you are building offshore wind energy in the littoral countries there will be more cooperation than conflict this is a possibility of uh, cooperative sustainable development in south china sea by what you have just discussed while china is in a space uh, of a harbinger of conflict it is also throwing china uh, with an opportunity to be a leader of renewable energy technology uh, in indo pacific it also provides china 
with an opportunity to sort of become a custodian of sustainable development in the region and it can enter into relationship alliances bilateral multilateral with the countries in the indo-pacific not just in the southeast asia uh, not just around south china sea and the littoral area but also in asia and the infrastructural projects for example the infrastructural projects in cpec uh, in hamadota all these uh, have been critiqued uh, a lot that uh, china's infrastructural projects uh, were a major cause of greenhouse gas emissions and th- they were not sustainably uh, constructed right so china can actually change the narrative by transitioning from uh, uh, this this race for power to race for resources in a way in which that they are renewable and sustainable in nature why would china lead this transition to renewable energy and what if china chooses not to lead this race for renewable energy technologies in the indo pacific what are the challenges and also what are the alternatives that we have in this region if china chooses not to lead the renewable energy race at the moment uh, china is dominating the renewable energy space there is no doubt about it whether that's solar panels or wind turbines or battery storage systems they are dominating the refining process this leads china with a great advantage if they are going to export the finished goods from the refined minerals and metals china has more chances of making economic progress and uh, more profit out of the entire business of renewable energy that also leads a big risk for the other countries especially in terms of china's dictation of the prices of the renewable energy technologies and many countries which are trying hard to meet their renewable energy targets will find it short of its uh, targets because of the huge price that is been put on the wind turbines and the battery storage systems that china is exporting to uh, global south it has a huge impact on the supply chain as well think about exporting the finished wind turbines instead of the materials required for building the magnets of wind turbines so this has a huge impact on the kind of vessels that is required to transport the huge amount of uh, wind turbines all the way from one continent to another continent that increases the chances of global uh, greenhouse gas emissions through maritime transportation and also at the same time the investment that is coming back to china uh, in the way of profits is going to increase over the years and many of the countries will struggle to meet their expectation and there won't be much of investment or local production which can also hamper the uh, employability of renewable energy technologies in other countries this is a huge Im- impact not just for uh, countries which are reliant on china for its uh, minerals and metals but also for the um, wind turbines and solar panels and battery storage systems and china will find it easy to dump their final products in the terms of in the way of e- electric vehicles to european countries compared to european countries finding it hard to access these uh, critical minerals which are required for building up electric vehicles there will be a substantial difference between the price that china is selling the electric vehicle to european markets and also the price of electric vehicles that is being made in europe another area that we need to consider is that china's dominance in this particular region need to be counterbalanced by other countries as well 
so a combination of uh, india vietnam and australia which are complementing each other in terms of the resources that they are having the skilled manpower they are having and the uh, expertise in terms of services and building artificial intelligence and machine learning all complement with each other so there is a possibility that we can combine these three countries to counterbalance china's progress in renewable energy technologies we cannot trust on china to provide us with the energy transition solutions which is a huge risk that we will be putting forward in front of our energy transition issues the cooperative sustainable development as a concept it also comes with its own challenges okay so when we when we developed this concept called cooperative sustainable development it was not uh, by thinking that everything is fine you know we living in living in a idealistic world where everybody is ready for the global good uh, by making s- some sacrifices and all that no it's not that everything is perfect and everybody is going to cooperate everybody has their own interest uh, in the uh, in the global politics and people Uh, especially countries governments do not cooperate unless and until they find something in in that for them uh, uh, to uh, sort of achieve their uh, short term their long term or uh, their national interests driven by their national politics however we are also living in a world where just like nation states national governments transnational actors and transnational governance are also forming uh, a core element in the global environmental politics so alongside all the intergovernmental institutions that we have and a major chunk of the challenge for cooperative sustainable development is the role of transnational actors it is also the role of all these non state actors uh, very very actively involved in lobbying and uh, uh, active in the national politics of the countries in the indo pacific so transnational actors also provide us with some opportunities along with providing certain challenges it also provides with us opportunities to overcome these challenges when we talk about critical minerals we talk about renewable energy we are talking about offshore as a region right we are talking about the maritime arena the the deep sea for example so uh, we uh, the future would be also on deep sea mining right that areas that where we cannot foresee conflicts happening the conflict for resources for example happening in the deep sea mining area so it is uh, deep sea mining actually is a process of uh, exploring all these uh, uh, critical minerals like cobalt and manganese which are used for all our renewable energy batteries our smartphones the steel uh, also other uh, uh, you know minerals like nickel gold or all the rare earth materials that is required currently there are mul- many countries that are involved in it but in the future there would be many non state actors there could be corporates actually fighting for because you cannot say anymore that it is a national interest say because it's deep sea it's international waters it's not your national waters it's not your exclusive economic zone so you cannot be actually saying that it's my resources per se but whose resources are they what are the regulations on uh, uh, on retrieving these minerals who does it belong to will there be over indulgence of uh, corporations which become bigger entities than let's say even government because if they have if big corporations get access 
to materials through deep sea mining then uh, they could be more you know a predominant uh, entity than uh, let's say even nation states per se which can also uh, sort of uh, create Uh, a geopolitical uh, you know conflict which is bigger than what is currently existing so to uh, acknowledging foreseeing understanding and giving space for these factors to play out uh, in itself in the region is significant dialogue on these concepts uh, routine conversations happening by multiple stakeholders uh, people who are involved government civil society intergovernmental organization let's say in, in indo pacific for example quad asean sarc bimstec um, iora so all these organizations need to come together have multiple conversations discussions around sustainable development about transitioning from the fossil fuel based economy to the renewable energy based economy because emerging industries need to come forward uh, need to have an environmental and socio cultural impact in the indo pacific region to sort of achieve uh, all the sdgs um, if not by 2030 in the uh, probably in the next decade uh, to come csd is not a silver bullet it is a combination of how the strategies has to be played out to make sure that we all are in this world together and whether that's the emissions that is been emitted in china or the emission that is been emitted in norway uh, everybody is affected the entire 8 billion population is affected by greenhouse gases and we have to come out of that together so we at the moment we are thinking about sustainable development cooperative sustainable development as a combination of different countries which is having territorial borders rather we can think about non state actors as well so we need to understand that how to bring all these factors together so that it can bring a total sustainability for the entire globe and the entire humanity as such so our sustainable growth should didn't be at the expense of the sustainable growth of the global south global north has to make sure that the entire globe has to be sustainable it has to be a coordinated effort this is where cooperative sustainable development comes into play so thank you uh, so much for having us here at the indo pacific voices we had a great time discussing the cooperative sustainable development and looking forward for your insights on this concept thank you